Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everyone, and welcome to another great episode of Tripping Up, the comedy travel podcast. I'm your host, Nina Clapperton, founder of the travel blog, Nina Out and About. Here at Tripping Up, we're all about celebrating travel, even the trip ups. Today's guest is Gary Ziegler, the Incan Indiana Jones. I'm not actually sure if people call him that, but I think we should get it started. I think it's pretty catchy. Gary has worn many hats in his life. He's a climber, sailor, cowboy, explorer, archeologist, search and rescue worker, adventure guide, sheriff, and more. Gary isn't just any archeologist though. He's an extreme archeologist. That means that he travels to places where most people can't. He uses his background as a mountaineer, sailor, and Peace Corps worker to uncover ancient relics across South America. Gary is a world-recognized authority on Incan culture and Machu Picchu. You may have seen Gary on the Discovery Channel, Science Channel, History Channel, BBC, or in National Geographic, Reader's Digest, Lonely Planet, or on NPR. Now you'll find Gary on his ranch in Colorado, going on home-based expeditions to discover unique treasures on the trails. He shares his knowledge with others through lectures and guided excursions with his company, Adventure Specialists. After his life of travels, he's definitely earned the title of Adventure Specialist. So without further ado, this is Gary Ziegler on Tripping Up. Now boarding. Hi, Gary. Welcome to the podcast. It's lovely to have you. Hi, Nina. It's good to be here. So for our listeners who may not know you, I wanted to start off by asking about how you travel and why you travel. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting that I've, I've traveled all my life, but I never really thought that it was, would be of interest to anybody. So I've traveled for various reasons for, well, of course, uh, tr- uh, recreation and, uh, and vacations, but mainly f- for work and, and education over all these years. And the interest in what I've been doing has been my projects and not how I got there or what went on while I was there. So this is an interesting new approach for me. It gave me an opportunity to kind of put a log together of places I've been and what I've done over the years. 
yeah, which was amazing to kind of see and go through. And I'm surprised no one's asked you about your travels before, because I think a friend of the podcast, Simon Casson, uh, mentioned you to me and was raving about how cool your life is, that you're kind of a, an updated Indiana Jones from Machu Picchu. <laughs> well, I can't quite live up to, uh, to his reputation, having taken a horse trip all the way from Mexico to Canada. That's an incredible experience. So we've always over the years on his adventures. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I think like South America is also kind of an untapped place. I've never been before. So to me, that's equally as fascinating. And I think it must be really cool to kind of travel down there and work down there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I've uh, spent, oh gosh, uh, getting to Peru is, is, is pretty, uh, pretty far forward in my travel adventures. So I started yeah. out years and years ago, just, um, oh, I think that my first international trip was traveling to Mexico during spring breaks and Christmas breaks from, from my uh, uh, university here in, in Colorado. I put together a few trips with friends. And one particular trip, uh, I remember we, three of us hitchhiked as an experiment. Wow. From, from Colorado Springs. Actually, from we'd, we drove to the Mexican border. So we hitchhiked from the Mexican border to Acapulco and back, riding in the back of trucks and buses. This is like my second year in college or something like that. And then oh, other experiences were based around uh, mainly climbing and skiing. Mm-hmm. And I, I belonged to a group, a college climbing group, which uh, was quite active in, in those years. And so we went around doing first ascents and in various places. And when we had vacation, like Christmas or spring break. And I remember taking my my first like second class bus trip to Mexico City with this group to climb Popocatépetl and Orizaba, the two two big volcanoes. And this is this is so far back, I don't even remember. It's like in the the early <laughs> 1960s, so. Were you free climbing or were you using harnesses and things like that for your well, climbing? Yeah, this was this was actually technical climbing because it, these are glaciated peaks. And of course, they had more glacier in those years. Mm-hmm. So we had to use crampons and belays and ice axes and all that stuff. So wow. anyway, it was still pretty dark ages climbing. It's like World War II climbing technology before all the advanced stuff. But yeah, we had a great time and, and uh, we got safely up and down. Yeah, I mean, clearly you lived to tell the tale, so it must have gone well. <laughs> That's right. So, so it probably affected my academic career. I did far too much climbing and skiing <laughs> instead of studying. So, Well, I think it kind of showed your early on inclinations for like kind of getting into the ground level research rather than just kind of sitting in an office somewhere and not experiencing it. Sure. Yeah. And then uh, if, if uh, I'll just jump ahead a little bit. So yeah. there were various, various trips in, in the college years. But I think the formative experience of, of, of launching probably the, the focus of my education and uh, my my uh, my professional training and all of that was was actually getting a job with the Peace Corps. OK. And it goes back to climbing and skiing again. Um, my professor at, at Colorado College was part of the American Alpine Club. And when the Peace Corps was forming in the early 1960s, they were setting up a training camp in Puerto Rico. And here was I, this young, young guy um, doing way too much climbing. And my professor said, uh, I think I can get you a job. They need somebody to go down there and help set up the training for Peace Corps volunteers. And I said, well, why would Peace Corps volunteers want to know anything about training and, and jungle survival? 
which I knew little about, but read up on. But nevertheless, um, so he got me in a job interview. I went to Washington, D.C., and that was my first, uh, actually, my probably my first flight flying over in some. Wow. I must have been like you know, early what, 707 or something flying into Washington, D.C. So I'm just this young kid from from Colorado. So I go to the job interview and it turns out I, I get the job. So I drop out of college for a year and then I'm hired to go back to Puerto Rico and help set up this program. And what it was, was, was it was a um, kind of a toughening up program. Getting in or going through Peace Corps training in those years was, was both uh, educational uh, edu- uh, experience as well as just toughening them up. So we yeah. set up like a Marine boot camp there and I was one of the two guys who who uh, had them repelling off of dams and climbing cliffs and that. But anyway, uh, so I, I, my first travel experience in a jet was to Washington, D.C. And I ended up in the Peace Corps office in downtown Washington, D.C. And I like to say I emptied uh, wastebaskets for Patrick Monahan and Elbert <laughs> Moyers, who were junior executives at that time of the Peace Corps. And then I went on to, to, uh, to spend six, seven months in the Peace Corps there. And that started a number of other travel uh, opportunities. And then the last thing I did for the Peace Corps is as, as I was sent as kind of an evaluating uh, program reviewer to the, to the groups that I had worked with. So, so then I flew to Ecuador and Colombia to, oh to meet with, with Peace Corps volunteers that I'd worked with. And so that gave me my introduction to to South America, and it sort of uh, experience builds my experience. Then I went back to home, Colorado, and I, I finished uh, my uh, undergraduate degree at Colorado College in Colorado Springs with a, um, a degree in, uh, in geology and philosophy. Well, continuing with the, the climbing saga, so uh, with a couple of other friends, just graduated from college, so I said, well, geez, let's, uh, let's put a climbing expedition to South America. I know South America. So we, uh, we achieved a grant from the American Alpine Club, and the thing sort of fell apart along the way. And the two of us hitchhiked from Mexico to Peru. Oh, my goodness. With, with, we had a, a contract with a little film company, and uh, we were carrying old wind-up Bolex cameras and too much gear. And we, we rode in trucks and buses and private vehicles uh, all the way down through Central America. Of course, we had to fly from Panama to Colombia at that point, and there still is no, no through road through the Darien Gap there. So flew into Colombia, finally got to Peru after the climbing season was over, but had some oh. remarkable, wonderful adventures. So, so the two of us, uh, uh, we were scheduled to climb an unclimbed peak and, and film it. Well, we, we did climb a peak, but it wasn't the unclimbed one we had uh, planned to, to climb. The weather was so bad, we climbed the wrong peak. Oh, no. <laughs> we made this great film that nobody wanted to see of climbing a peak that had been climbed a dozen times before. Oh, goodness. I mean, that's the unfortunate part of, uh, yeah, when things go awry on your trips. <laughs> that's right. You know, and there were some other things going on in my life. I, as, uh, I had also uh, just been commissioned a second lieutenant in the United States Army through ROTC. Wow. And, and my active duty was on hold if I went to graduate school. And so wow. there I am in South America, and I'm just intrigued by the ancient civilizations and all that. And I had no archaeology or anthropology training, just my, my science degree and, and, and a, a lot of uh, 
wordy thought with the philosophy degrees, but I was able to, to sign up in graduate school at Prus National University in archaeology. We met some people there and took me on. And I ended up staying there a, a few years doing some really interesting stuff digs on the coast and putting together early archaeological expeditions. Yeah. But as it turned out, uh, the kind of archaeology I did and still do is what we call extreme archaeology. There's okay. a small group of us, and we specialize of, of, of um, finding and, and, and surveying archaeological sites virtually where no one goes, like on top wow. of mountains around Machu Picchu and the high peaks and, and so forth. So anyway, so there I am now in South America and in, in, in Peru. And I, I, I came back a couple of times back and forth. And then finally, the army says, whoops, enough of this. We need you. <laughs> so right in the middle of my dissertation, which gets postponed for a while. So I'm, uh, I'm on active duty in the army. And that's then that's more training. Okay. So I'm all, all over the country. And um, and also, it, it really got my start uh, in horses, mm-hmm. which is you know, a, a big part of my life to this day, because I, I, I live, uh, actually, I live on a horse cattle ranch right now. And, and in fact, with uh, the sequestering, um, not, not, not equestrian, no, so I said sequestering. <laughs> Good clarification. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Experience right now is about, about my only uh, source of income and, and anything going on is, is the cattle ranch. Yeah. <laughs> so raising cattle. But anyway, that's, let's, let's, let's go back again. So, so here I am in, um, so now, now I'm in the army and, and I go through all their training, interesting stuff. And, and I end up, uh, playing polo for a while in, in, in Georgia and South Carolina for the army. They had a recreational polo team at the time. And, and I'd had uh, quite a bit of horse experience, not growing up with it in Colorado, but uh, in, in packing and expeditions in South America already. So, so now I get a chance to play polo for a while and get out of some terrible junior officer duties. And, and then I said, well, it's time for more traveling. So I'm sent over to, uh, to Southeast Asia for an interesting year. So I spent a year uh, uh, in, um, in Vietnam working in, in field intelligence with some interesting units. I was stationed with the um, uh, Australian uh, Special Forces unit there and, and some U.S. Army Special Forces and went back and forth and um, had, had a couple of uh, clandestine assignments to Japan. And, uh, wow. And, and other places officially for the army. That's and so, that, so, so eventually that uh, winds down and I ended up returning. I decided, well, you know, an army career is great, but not, not for me at this time, too, too much going on, too many irons in the fire. So yeah. I come back to home Colorado. And uh, again, coming back to, to, to climbing is I, I uh, landed a job with, something called Colorado Outward Bound School, which is still going. It's, it's, it's what we used to call in those days experiential learning. It took, uh, in those, those years, mainly young people out for experience in the wilds and, okay. and, and climbing on, on skis and all thick up in the mountains. And uh, I, I teamed up with some, some old friends and, and a, uh, I, have to, I have to use the term girlfriend. I guess it's not, is that still politically correct? I think really so, great. yeah. <laughs> a, a, a great lady who moved back from Georgia to Colorado that I'd met in the army and, and uh, t- t- together she was doing climbing and that system. We were t- for outward bound running these, these winter mountaineering programs. And, and um, we, uh, we, we bought the first part of my ranch together. 
And then she moved on to to get her doctorate in anthropology and became a a noted Southwestern anthropologist. And we still committed to have to come back to that later. But anyway, so we did a lot of traveling uh, with with Outward Bound around the Southwest and and Colorado. And then um, I also took a part-time teaching job with my old school, Colorado College. And we ran some um, anthropology-related courses in Mexico's Copper Canyon. And that launched a place that I have been going back to for ever since until recent times. So a very, very exciting area, the Sierra Madre and the Copper Canyon area in in northern Mexico. Well, anyway, moving ahead. So now now I have a ranch in Colorado and and there's a bunch of little track things. I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting about like the two of us took my old BMW motorcycle and we traveled for uh Two months in Mexico. Wow! So we we, we rode from Colorado and uh, down to the Yucatan, and and um, I was doing um, photography and studies of the Mayan ruins. So we had a couple of wonderful experience on motorcycles traveling. That'd around. be amazing. Yeah, I mean, I've never been on a motorcycle. My stepdad has one, and it always looks very intimidating. So I'm imagining that it was not the most comfortable adventure, but it'd be a lot of fun. Well, no, it's yeah, and and, and uh, these old motorcycles we had in those years weren't quite the the comfortable things that people cruise around in today. But anyway, yeah. it was it was another exciting adventure, and it allowed us to get into the cultural events and things going on around us, and stop and meet people and visit people. It was a very uh, friendly way of, mm-hmm. of traveling. But meanwhile, a whole other series of things were going on. So I was continually going back to Peru because I kept my, my archaeology uh, um, profession going, doing these, these expeditions and, and, and setting these remote sites and teaming up with a group of people. We formed a project called the Andean Research Project, which lives on to this day. And uh, wow. concentrated in these re- remote areas like around Machu Picchu and, and, and some other royal estates with the Inca. So I kept up with the Inca thing coming and going back in Colorado. But anyway, that doesn't pay the bills. You know, we, yeah. can, <laughs> we kind of break even, get a grant or two for, for the archaeology stuff. But what I had to do uh, to make a living was to get a guide and outfitting business going out of the ranch, which I did. So I started doing... Uh, uh, horse pack trips up into the nearby Sangre de Cristo wilderness area. And also um, a couple of my old outward bound friends and I started the first rafting company on, on, on the Arkansas river, which is now one of the hottest wow. things that so we, we have to, so we started that whole industry. Well, anyway, what's natural, what's more natural than doing the same thing in Peru. So yeah. I, yeah, so I, I teamed up with some local partners in Peru, and, and we put together a horse packing operation. We did guided climbing there, so back and forth regularly to, to Peru. And also, so we did the same thing in the Sierra Madres in the, the wilds of the canyon. It teamed up with some local Mexican families there, and we put together some guided uh, both hiking and, and horse trips down in the depths of, of the canyon. So anyway, it's, 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 it's constant going somewhere or other which um, I think has, the lifestyle has been uh, of, of being able to live very frugally and live, live on, a, on, on the ranch and, and uh, to, to, to be able to budget these, these uh, interesting trips and do it ourselves so it doesn't cost a lot of money. 
Yeah, which I think is a really good kind of reminder to listeners as well that like anyone can do it and that like adventure travel, there's always different routes into it. Like I I didn't realize the Peace Corps had any of those components that could get you into travel this way. That was amazing. Um, I have another question for you now. Uh, is there a weird or odd souvenir that you've picked up in your travels that stuck with you? I, I had to think about that. I picked up a few odd things. But, but probably the, the, the oddest thing I, I picked up is that um, we did uh, horse trips in the Spanish Pyrenees for a while. Very interesting place. Good friend of ours had lived in an old um, Romanist uh, 13th century town up in the Pyrenees against the French border. And said, hey, let's, let's go on a, on a horse trip. Let me take you through the Pyrenees on old Roman roads and show you some old uh, wow. abandoned Roman things. And, and so, well, what, of course, we have to poke around a bit. And so we route through some, some old ruins there and we come up with a whole cache of, of weapons from the Spanish Civil War. Oh my goodness. And so I find a, um, a, a classic World War I German potato masher hand grenade. Oh my God. It had been burned. So there was no, no live uh, explosives in it. It was just, a, just the shell. But I remember bringing that home and, and taking that through, through customs. <laughs> I'm sure they loved that you were bringing weaponry through. <laughs> the poor customs guy had no idea what it was. So I said, oh, oh this is just a, a piece of a, a, a truck axle, an old truck axle I like to bring through. And <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so that's probably the most unusual thing that I've uh, brought home over the years. So Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's hard to top anything that would like get you banned from flying now. <laughs> like we've had a couple other people with uh, weapons that have come on the show and you just... Yeah, it's lucky that they traveled when they did, or else you wouldn't get away with it now. <laughs> uh, strangely enough, I always travel. Uh, we use machetes in Peru. Oh, yeah. But I always have a machete in my check baggage. And strangely <laughs> enough, as long as it's in the check baggage, it goes right through. It's not an issue. So That's so funny. Like, you'd think that they would, I don't know, at least question you or make you check it off on a form or something so they'd know why it's there. (laughs) And now, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us your tripping up travel story. Okay, well, probably uh, my most unusual travel story. I don't know if it's the most unusual, but I think it was was one of the most adventurous was um, another uh, uh, lady friend and I who was working for me at the time at the ranch. This is the early 1970s. We've, we've, uh, we're up a few, a decade or so from the Peace Corps. And uh, we were, we had the guide and outfitting business and I had a number of employees at that time and we were doing the horseback trips and climbing. And the, the business. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Business pretty much shuts down in in the winter. So I I had all made these contacts in in, uh, Mexico with, I mentioned, uh, running these anthropology programs down there with Colorado College and other groups. And I said, let's do a horse trip through Mexico. And so we did. And, and she, uh, she was quite an accomplished horsewoman and, and um, had uh, ridden fancy horses and all that and, and uh, really brought some, some class to our, to our cowboy riding operation here in Colorado. But anyway, so the two of us, we had time. It was like December of, I think it was December, maybe 1973. So we, we loaded in, in uh, her station wagon, put in a couple of old, actually old half-seat uh, 1890 saddles, which were light and, and uh, fit narrow Mexican horses. And I get sponsorship at that time from uh, Western Horseman magazine. The publisher, Dick Spencer, was a friend of my family and all of that. So we had a, a letter to um, to buy horses and, and, and be helped in Mexico. So we drove to Chihuahua and we left the, left the station wagon in Chihuahua and we met these uh, uh, Mexican rancher friends who who knew our friends from Western Horseman uh, magazine, and we bought two uh, really good horses, and we set off riding uh, sort of north or southwest out of out of Chihuahua into the Sierra Madre, and it was a wonderful adventure. And uh, sadly enough, uh, you wouldn't dare do this today because of the of, of the of the drug situation and the anarchy that's going on there, but this was like 18, 1880s Mexico. I felt like Pancho Villa riding through there. We we uh, we took the two horses, no pack horse, just light with bed rolls, and and we we traveled across country. Pretty much, uh, we got through several ranches, but once we got on the high country, it was just little remote uh, traditional villages and. Um, Tarahumara settlements and 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 I at that time knew just a few greetings and keywords in Tarahumara and and uh, pretty good Spanish. So we rode through these mountains for oh gosh I guess it must have been a, a month and a half. 
from village to village. And we, we, this was before Google Earth and Google Maps. So, so we really, uh, it was just sort of hit and miss where we were going. We had air navigation charts. So we could hit the big drainages and the high points and know roughly where we were, but we'd have to get local information. They tell us how to get to the next village. And then we'd come into these little villages and they, it was just wonderful hospitality. They would take us in and, uh, and feed us and wouldn't take any money, feed our horses. And so we'd resupply on, on beans and, and tortillas and off we'd go again. And uh, across from some really rugged country, we eventually ended up down at uh, my friend's place, which I, I later uh, ran horse trips with. Uh, right near the Copper Canyon, they had little lived in a little village there, and they had a little, uh, little small rancho. And we stayed with them a week or so and had a great time. And then I said, "Well, you know, we'd like to cross the big canyon, the the uh, Copper Canyon, which is like the Grand Canyon. It's five thousand feet deep right there." And they said, "Well, you know, the, the there was an old Spanish silver trail where they used to run mules out of there from from the mines at Batapilas and." in the uh, 1700s. They said, you know, here's how you get there. Okay. I said, I think he said, you know, with the Tarahumara still use it, I, I think we, you could do it. So we started down into these deep canyons and we got down to the deep canyons and there was no writing. It was just leading the animals and we were building trail and moving rocks and whatnot. But we got down into the deep canyons and it was, it's just totally remarkable adventure. But then we needed to get out of the canyon on the other side. And what we didn't realize was there was a, a, another deep canyon on the other side of that. Oh, no. <laughs> so we thought, oh, it's a piece of cake. You know, we found an old trail leading up and we, we got up onto the top of the rim and we started down this other canyon. And we got five days down this canyon. It was just horrendous. And we couldn't go any further. Oh, no. And at that point, we were totally out of supplies and food. And even our coffee pot had gotten, you know, kicked off the trail or in one of these little, little things. So so there we were. We're just li living on almost nothing. Our uh, horses did fine because there was enough grass down in the bottom that they could eat. But but we uh, we came out of there awfully skinny. But the interesting thing is way down at the bottom of that canyon, we found a wonderful archaeological site that I never got back to which was a big cliff dwelling. And we think it was, um, we had done some, some archeological work there before. And we think it was Mogollon period, which was a Southwestern culture around. Okay. Very, very well known uh, basket maker uh, culture. And, and it, was, it, it was full of, of course, b bodies and pots. <laughs> yeah. And I, I do have a few pictures from that, and that's all. But actually, a lot, I, I lost the camera later on in the trip. The story goes on. So finally, uh, took us five days back out of there with virtually nothing to eat. We got up on the rim, and, and once we were on the other rim, then there, it was more civilized. There were little villages, and, and I remember um, one, one, uh, one difficult thing is we, we, we stayed at a, a little Baptist mission, a very nice little place there, nice folks. And I remember having to shoe this horse. And, and I remember my language got a little rough. <laughs> this, this horse, I, mean, I don't think anybody had ever sh had shod this horse up, up, upright. So we had to throw oh, okay. it down and, and uh, oh, it was horrible. But I mean, we, so wow. we... we we got him shot, but, but anyway, uh, it was it was kind of a harrowing experience for, for for me, and I think for them. So we we quickly moved on. 
All right. And then we followed the uh, really interesting old silver trail uh, down into the, the silver mining town of Batapilas, which at that time, now it has roads and it's, you know, it's run by cartels, but not at that time. It was still just a remote little mining town, still a few mines going and no road. You could only get in there. They had a little airport. You could fly in and out or you had to come in by foot or a horse or mule. So we came into this little town and uh, spent, spent a few days there. Again, wonderful experience with wonderful people. And then to get out of the town, we, we, we knew that the, the road ended about a day's uh, ride on horseback out of there, up that canyon. So we planned to then uh, uh, ride out to the end of the road, sell our horses and, and, and go back. But uh, the, the, the big adventure at that point was crossing the river because now this was, there'd been a d- December snowstorm and the river was flooding. And, and they said, well, you know, the, the, the river crossing, the Vado is the Mexican word for river crossing. The Vado is right up there. Okay, so we start across this thing and, and my horse gets swept upside down in the, in the river with me on it. And I get my foot tangled. Oh my God. My foot, my foot tangled in the rope because we had all sorts of you know, material hanging on since we had no pack horse. And I managed to cut my head a belt knife, which I still use on trips to this day. And I managed to cut myself loose or I wouldn't be here. But the, wow. the, the, it, the horse was all right. I was all right. We, we were, but the sad thing is that we lost my saddlebags and uh, most of our film and, and camera. Oh, that's unfortunate. We never got the, the, the article, the promised story written for Western Horseman magazine. But so that was the end of the adventure pretty much. And we, uh, we ended up at the end of the road and there was a little uh, rancho there and they bought our horses and we, we uh, g- got a ride back to the, to the railroad town of Creel. This is, I think, uh, Christmas Eve or something. And we, uh, we had very little money left and, there were, and we, able, we were able to talk our way on to a locomotive. So we so we rode in a freight train and the locomotive all the way back to Chihuahua where our car was left, and that was this. That's that's my uh, my horse <laughs> story. We figured we did about maybe five hundred miles on that trip. So that's amazing. I mean, oh my! Like I thought it was going to be I don't know some sort of discovery. I did not think it was that much of a near death experience. Oh my goodness! That must have been terrifying. Well, you know, at the time, you, you take one event as it occurs at the time, and you and and and, and basically, uh, you know, you deal with it; it comes along, and you, you don't think of it as a life-threatening experience. So, just something that yeah, some challenge true. to deal with. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's it's fascinating, and I, I'm sure that like the loss of those photos is devastating, but at least. I mean, rather better the photos than you. That's always kind of oh, the no. motto of the podcast. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's amazing. Well, we've come to the part of the podcast where I tell you one of my travel stories. Oh, wonderful. Um, yeah, so your turn to sit back and listen. Super. <laughs> um, so this is a story from back. I don't actually know how old I was. I think I was probably like nine or 10, but I've had cowboy fantasies my whole life. Um, We grew up with my grandmother had a farm and there was uh, neighbors with horses. So I've been riding since I could walk, Um, always been obsessed. So when my parents got divorced, I kind of demanded in that like 
um, entitled divorce child way to my dad. I was like, we're going to a ranch. Um, and somehow it worked. So he took my sister and myself, um, out to Jasper and Banff in Alberta. Um, Alberta is kind of cowboy country in Canada, Indeed. although BC, yeah, BC is kind of like, it's, it's fighting for it, but I think, um, Alberta still holds on to it. So we went to this really beautiful, like old ranch and all I wanted to do was ride the horses. So of course, like you have to, it's one of those like holiday experiences that you book ahead of time and then you have to like add on the horses and add on every other thing. So when we finally got, I think it was took like two days or something before we actually got around to riding the horses. Um, which frustrated me endlessly because I didn't care about the pool. I just wanted to ride. <laughs> and they offered um, these really beautiful trail rides kind of through the forest where you would get to explore. You got to, There were some hills and valleys there as well. So you could like look out over all these peaks. Um, what I didn't know was that it was trail riding. So it was quite slow. It was, my dad had, my dad's not a horse rider. So he'd signed up for beginner versions. My sister and I were more, intermediate advanced. So this whole time, um, I think I was at the back of the pack of everybody and we're just walking, but all I want to do, I was like, let's run. Oh let's gosh. do this. Let's, I want to gallop across this mountain. I'm going to do it. Um, so I kept just like stopping the horse that way I could wait a few minutes, let them disappear. And then I'd have to run to catch up. And I thought I was brilliant. I thought this was so sneaky. I was so sure that I was like scamming the system. Um, until we came to the time when it like, and I wasn't galloping. I thought I knew what galloping was. I was 10. I was really, I think trotting near canter. Um, we got to this, finally to this open field where we were supposed to actually gallop and canter. And I was beyond excited. It was like wind in your hair, finally time to go. You didn't have to go if you didn't want to, the horses were quite good. So my dad decided not to, cause he didn't really know what he was doing it that well. Um, and unfortunately, my sister wanted to, but she's really, really small. So her horse, I guess, forgot that it had somebody on their back. So this actually isn't my tripping up story. It's her tripping up story. Um, but as we were like cantering across this field, her horse decided to veer off the field into this, like, I know it wasn't a mangrove area because that obviously doesn't exist in Alberta but it felt like it there were tendrils of the branches like snaking down they were all kind of interwoven together and I don't know why her horse decided that was where to go but it took off at like a full canter straight into these trees Ooh. and of course there's this little child sitting on top who oh was probably God. seven at the time um just kind of cowering and screaming screaming bloody murder um I'm kind of glad we were in the middle of nowhere so people like didn't immediately like call an amber alert or something um luckily I think once she once the branches started to hit her and she was screaming hard enough she finally kind of clutched down enough to get the horse to remember she was there but at that point they're just stuck in the middle of all these brambles and they can't move so we had to kind of huh. and it wasn't just us on this like there were a few other families as well who had to kind of endure this and watch as my poor little sister had to be extracted from all the brambles while she just started like she was just crying and it was heartbreaking for her but it was also kind of hilarious being the older sister who yeah. thought she knew everything yeah <laughs> so like she was fine she was a little bit scraped up but like luckily um, we had put on proper clothing and she had a helmet. So she had kind of, she has this really good reflex, I think from 
unfortunately I'm, I wasn't a great driver at seven years old. I crashed a car um, and she had been in the car. So she had learned quite early to like tuck and roll when things go bad. So I think she had used that instinct and she had kind of just like turtled on top of the, the horse so that just her helmet and her back were taking the brunt of it. Her arms got a little bit straight, but oh my yeah, God. the horse horse didn't even realize it happened once he was out of there he was like okay let's keep going yeah, <laughs> um, but it took it took her quite some convincing to get her back on the horse at that point oh, we were I'm like sure. a good hour or two away <laughs> yeah wow, um yeah so i mean it all worked out we had a great time at that point she started to prefer the two giant mastiff dogs she said that they were as big as a horse so they could be her friends for the time and i could hang out with the horses um i mean yeah i'm glad it all worked out but Oh, she was, it took, definitely was hard to get her back on the horses after. <laughs> oh, sure. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. Yeah. Well, after all these uh, kind of harrowing stories, I like to end the podcast on positives. Mm -hmm. um, so I ask every guest for a travel triumph, which is a positive moment, something they're looking forward to, or maybe their favorite part of travel. Just to remind our listeners that even though we trip up, travel is always worth it. Oh, just again, I have to go. I just the wonderful experiences just, you know, I've, I've outlined a few of the, the uh, scarier ones, but mm -hmm. just endless, wonderful experiences in the mountains, the sunrise or on top of a mountain and various things like that. But uh, I, I have to tell you one one thing I'm doing right now is, is I'm doing archaeological studies here on our ranch in the local region of, of the Ute and, and other uh, tribes who were here. Uh, up until 1850s or so. And so in, in June 20th of this year, uh, the four of us, another couple, my wife and I, we uh, we went up in the mountains, which is, you know, an hour's drive here from the ranch, the Sunday Crystal Wilderness area, and the big, uh, wonderful trails that go up and meadows to camp in, and all virtually no one goes up there. And I've been going up there for many, many years because I said we guided up there for years. So we, mm -hmm. we take off on a little light pack trip. We have a couple pack horses. So we go up to a meadow um, just below Timberline where we've camped dozens of times over the years and, and set up our camp and wonderful, wonderful uh, camp. It's a big Timberline of peaks, uh, 12, 13,000 foot peaks behind. And then, oh, wow. then looking down into the wet mountain valley and over towards the higher country of our ranch to the east. So there, there we are. We have, we have, uh, we do our our evening meal. We do our evening happy hour. We have a wonderful time. We get up in the morning, and the and the horses. The way we deal with horses, uh, the common way people do with horses in the mountains is they highline them, which we consider not the way to do it. We've always taught our horses to be staked out on a thirty foot or forty foot rope with a stake tied to a halter yeah. and then they can graze in, in a circle and you can move them. They do no, no, uh, no damage. So anyway, mm -hmm. uh, I get up in the morning and I go out to, to uh, move the horses and a, a place where I've had horses stake for 30 years. It's, it's a, my gosh, it's a teepee ring. Wow. It, it's, it's, it was some kind of, it had been some kind of uh, one big lodge for like uh, spiritual purposes, a shaman or medicine man, because it's up in this high valley. I said, wow. And I had seen, I'd been there, uh, I don't know how many times. And, but then I, I, I walk east from there and, and then I see here's this, this parallel line of, of stones about a hundred feet away, pointing like an arrow at the June solstice sunrise. 
And what's coming oh up? My goodness. The June solstice sunrise lighting up this line with a ray of sun. And I, I have pictures and I diagram this. And that was That's just amazing. A, just a summer. But, but what, what an exciting experience and just, you know, something that I, yeah. I've been there all these years and hadn't looked at it. But it, I think that, yeah, like it's one of those things to kind of see your home world through the travel eyes and kind of to discover the fascination of it. Exactly. So, yeah. So that, that's amazing. So that's my most recent. And, and as I said, there, uh, there are endless stories of, of just really good times and enjoying life and travel. So, yeah. And I think, I think recent ones are good kind of to find travel moments, even during the pandemic. Like I, uh, I stole my sister's car and I say stole, it was sanctioned thievery. I asked for it. She was away. Um, but I stole her car and I stole her dog and I took them on a hike and, yeah, I haven't been in Toronto for a long time. So yeah. I, and I was a kid. So like, I wasn't into hiking back then. My mom had to make us go on walks, like force us at the door with the dogs. So I took uh, the dog to the Scarborough Bluffs, which are quite famous, um, like little uh, limestone cliffs on the edge of Toronto. And yeah, just getting out of the house and like having a bit of travel, it changes exactly. everything. Exactly. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, it's been so lovely to have you on the podcast, Gary. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, what fun and pleasure to talk to you. Attention passengers, we've now reached our destination. We hope you enjoyed the flight and have a nice day. I am already packing to head to South America the moment this pandemic lifts after that amazing conversation. Gary has adventured in ways I never even knew possible. Unfortunately, I couldn't fit all of Gary's incredible stories in this episode but you can head to Tripping Up's Patreon to listen to a bonus episode of Gary's sailing adventures and misadventures. You'll find bonus episodes for Simon Casson and Jules Mountain as well. A big thank you to friend of the podcast, Simon Casson, for introducing me to Gary. Gary taught me so much in this chat. I can't imagine how much you would learn from one of his guided tours. Gary founded Adventure Specialists, an adventure travel company that develops custom-designed trips for small groups of travelers. You'll explore Machu Picchu and the Incan Royal Estate on foot or horseback, discovering the wonders of Andean archeology. span But just because you're traveling like an archeologist doesn't mean you have to live like one. The tours come complete with a camp chef and ample happy hour supplies to relax after a long day of hiking. If you're interested in exclusive copies of Gary's book on Incan ruins, you can get select copies from his website adventure-specialists.com. But hurry, there are only a few left. Thank you for journeying through some more travel trip ups with me. I can't wait to share more trips and triumphs with you in two weeks. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.